Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. Digital editor Al Lunsford here alongside Joe Passoff. Joe, we often talk about taking trips to the various, the east or the west coast to play some great coastal golf. Uh, but in the summertime, some fantastic mountain golf courses open their doors for play. Uh, and so today we're going to talk about some great mountain golf destinations from east coast to west coast. Um, again, not coast, but mountain golf on either side of the country and also looking up into Canada a bit. Joe, mountain golf, what makes it so special? Yeah, Al, I mean, we give so much love to Oceanside Golf because, you know, that's the roots of the game, Lynx Golf and everything. But you only have so many candidates to play golf on the ocean in the U.S., and not all of them will cool you off in the summer. But beating the summer heat by climbing to cooler heights is a tradition that dates to the earliest days of North American golf. But basically, like, to the 1880s when we started playing mountain golf. So you think of pleasantly warm days instead of days where you're roasting, where uh, you probably live, um, co really cool nights, which are just beautiful up in the mountains. And yes, uh, extra distance on your drives. Those are the prime attractions of mountain golf. But invariably with mountain golf, you've got spectacular scenery, a variety of lies and stances. And when you get high enough, the novelty of calculating the correct green reads and playing yardage for any given shot. So, you know, that's the fun. That's the uniqueness of mountain golf. So, yep. Uh, I thought let's, uh, let's just tell folks about our experiences and, uh, and what we feel like are the best escapes um, on either side of the Mississippi. We, we don't have to call them coasts. We can call them regions, but um some fantastic places to get away to in the summer to the mountains. We love a lot of those things. We love getting that extra distance on our, our ball with the very high above sea level type of environment. We love those big elevated par three holes that feature massive drops and, and from tea to green. We love the wildlife we get to see and the, and the scenery and playing in nature Obviously, golf is a game played outdoors, uh, but you're often not feeling like you're playing in... Sometimes you feel like it's a park. Sometimes it's a national park. I feel like you get that kind of feel at a lot of mountain golf courses. So, Definitely. A lot of good things to enjoy about the crisp mountain air and the echoing strike of a golf shot in the mountains, Joe. Well, Al, you're you're sitting uh, you know, back east in the Carolinas. And, uh, you know, north of you, uh, not too much south, but there is a little mountain golf to the south of you. But um, where would you start if we we're talking about mountain golf uh, in the eastern United States? Sure. Well, I have uh, a few places to go here. And like you mentioned, a lot of it is north. We talked about golf in North Carolina, we covered the entire state on a previous podcast uh, where we touched you know, North Carolina has mountains and coastal golf uh, to play. And, and we talked about some of the great mountain golf courses in North Carolina already. So I would steer some people towards that episode for, for more in depth. This episode is all about great mountain golf you can play. 
So again, we talked about private courses in North Carolina, some good public ones. The Omni Grove Park Inn is is up there uh, with the best mountain courses in North Carolina. That would be a good place to start if you're going to play golf in the mountains in NC. Looking elsewhere, looking a little bit further north, one of the greatest places, I think, to start as one of the best golf resorts you can find on the eastern side of the United States, and that's the Greenbrier in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. Uh, obviously, well-known place uh, set in the Allegheny Mountains in West Virginia. Uh, lots of golf to be played. So they've got three resort courses, two 18s, and a nine-hole course. It used to be an 18-hole course. If you recall, there was some big storms and massive flooding in 2016 that ended up uh, forcing the Greenbrier to to dial back one of those 18s into a nine-hole course and, and make some changes to the other courses around there. But uh, three great courses, a nine-hole walking par three course. There's also a private course there called the Sneed course uh, that's available to members up there. But again, courses you can play, one of the best uh, PGA Tour venue from 2010 to 19, the old white course at the Greenbrier. Seth Rayner, C.P. McDonald opened in 1914. That's their signature course. Uh, and it has a bunch of those template holes like those guys used to to like to employ. Among them, the Redan 8th hole, the Beeritz 3rd, uh, the Alps 13th, Eden 15th hole, and a very cool par 3 finishing hole with that this kind of horseshoe feature in the middle of the green. Par three finisher, kind of unique thing. Uh, we, I think we have a, an article on on links about par three finishing holes, par three opening holes as well. Um, but again, you had some work done in 2007, Lester George, and then in 2016, after that big flood, Keith Foster came in and restored the place. Joe, have you visited the Greenbrier uh, with a tournament or or to play golf yourself? Yeah, Al, it's been a few years, uh, unfortunately, uh, since I've been to the Greenbrier, but I made multiple visits there back in the day. And, um, you know, I used to uh, handle the resort beat, the rankings beat, and the Greenbrier was one of the greatest full service golf resorts anywhere in the world, not, not just the region or the country, but the world. You know, the service levels were off the charts, uh, the design, the interiors, uh, everything about the place, including the food, um, you know, was absolutely at, you know, at or near the top. And what I always thought was really cool golf wise at the Greenbrier, you know, is that unlike most places where you get onto a given golf course and you're like, Oh, man, I, I wish I could have played the tournament course, you know, if you only have one to play. How about the Greenbrier? Two of their three full 18s. You have uh, the Old White, which, uh, you know, had a TPC affiliation for a number of years. I can't swear that it still does. Um, but, yeah, that that's the classic C.B. McDonald, Seth Rayner, like rare resort course or public access course that you could play to is be able to play that truly classic architecture and the pga tour played there for a number of years or sometime in july and and so forth 
Oh, by the way, they have another course there called the Greenbrier course, a little confusing at the Greenbrier, but that happened to host the Ryder Cup uh, in 1979, I believe, and also hosted a Solheim Cup. And I was there for that Solheim Cup back in 1994. Um, fabulous, like autumn leaves changing, you know, at the time of the event. Annika Sorenstam was, you know, fresh out of U of A and playing on behalf of Europe. Uh, some fantastic memories from that event. And then other stays there too, but, um, you know, undeniable, a great place. And, uh, you know, so cool to have two golf courses that have hosted significant tournaments and, uh, you know, big, big plug for those folks. Like you mentioned the Greenbrier course, uh, it's also originally a Seth Rayner, but redone redesigned in 1977 by Jack Nicholas ahead of that Ryder Cup. Uh, it's the only resort course to host those two, the Ryder Cup and the Solheim Cup. And again, after, after that flooding in 2016, it's now reopened as just a nine-hole course. Another good thing of note about the Greenbrier course is uh, Sam Sneed is said to have the first known competitive round of 59 there at the Greenbrier course at the 1959 spring festival, a tournament there. Uh, so a little tidbit for you there. The other 18 hole course you can play at the Greenbrier is called the Meadows. Originally a nine hole course called Lakeside designed by Alexander Finley expanded to 18 in 1962 by Dick Wilson. A really interesting thing about this course is when Wilson constructed nine new holes to make into an 18 hole design. He did so by using dirt that was excavated, excavated during the construction of the bunker. If you've heard of the bunker, Joe, um, a really cool, unique thing about the Greenbrier resort, uh, is that this was carved into the side of the mountain beneath the resort as a Cold War fallout shelter and, and also a top-secret government relocation facility for Congress. So um, if anything were to happen, major, and this is how it used to be at least, if, if something major were to happen in D.C. or um, a threat to national security that uh, would force some of our um, highest elected officials to, to go into hiding, there's a bunker there at the Greenbrier you can now take tours of as a resort guest. So, um, but when they did dig that out, Dick Wilson was able to use a lot of that dirt uh, in construction. Yeah, yeah. I want to say that uh, maybe Bob Cup possibly uh, came in and even redid what Wilson's course had been um, a number of years ago. 1999, uh, yep. Okay, because uh, Bob Cup had also assisted on a property next door, which was the Oakhurst links, which was America's one of the oldest, if not the oldest course uh, that was going. And that was shut down for many years. And they reopened it during that 1994 Solheim Cup. I was privileged to be on hand with uh, our colleague and, and a friend I made that week, Nick Edmond. And um, yeah, we, uh, we watched the opening drives uh, Carson Solheim had specifically uh, had Ping construct some old wooden clubs, wooden shafted clubs, 
And wouldn't you know it, Sam Snead, the opening drive, hit a Sam Snead swing and the club head flew right off. <laughs> so um, it was, yeah, a little trial and error uh, uh, back then. But it was it was a lot of fun because they let you use simulated gutty golf balls in that deal. But the whole key to the bunker, and you're exactly right. I mean, this is 19, you know, late 1950s, early 1960s when um, uh, we've had, if there was an emergency situation, but there was um, crane service, you know, even private train car that would take the congressional delegation uh, straight to the Greenbrier. Um, That's where, uh, you know, the train tracks led right in there and, you know, could hole away if they needed to. And they finally opened it up maybe 20 years ago um, to for the public to be able to see, for resort guests to be able to see and so forth. But before then, it was a secret. And again, this, of course, the Meadows after Bob Cup um, redesigned it, restored again in 2017. It's known for its dynamic greens, its vistas of those mountains and stacked sod bunkers is a signature of that course. So. Um, the Greenbrier, great place to stay and play, uh, play a lot of golf, a lot of different golf. And uh, the great thing about a, a lot of these places that we're going to talk about is, you know, they have exceptional golf, but they're also built around an abundance of activities, uh, outdoor and indoor. They're all season resorts. Uh, Greenbrier has a great casino that makes it a draw uh, for buddies trips of that uh, nature to play a bunch of golf, do some gambling. Um, but there's, there's shooting horseback riding, you know, ATVs, bikes, you name it. Um, you can go to their site and view their list of full activities, but, uh, it's America's resort for a reason, Joe, the Greenbrier is where I would start my list. Uh, but from there I would move down a little bit, stay in the Allegheny Mountains, but move to Hot Springs, Virginia, to another hotbed and um, a place that has had great mountain golf for about a century, and that's the Homestead, the Omni Homestead Resort. Uh, we talked about Sam Sneed shooting 59 at the Greenbrier. Uh, well, the Homestead, the Cascades course, that's where Sam Sneed learned to play the game. He was born in nearby Ashwood, uh, but learned his golf on the Cascades course, 1923 William Flynn design. Uh, It's a dynamite course, and I mean that literally and metaphorically because uh, he used a lot of dynamite to blast out the fairways, uh, this limestone rock that inhabited a lot of the region. Um, You know, there were other architects that came in and, and said, the land wasn't suitable for golf. Well, Flynn and his team said, uh, we're going to make it suitable for golf. So they blasted out a bunch of rock uh, to create this design. It's a very natural-looking course nonetheless. Ponds, streams, and, and sweeping slopes. No houses on the Cascades course at the Homestead. Uh, it's hosted a Curtis Cup, U.S. Women's Open, U.S. Amateur and Women's Amateur, among other things. Renovated by Robert Trent Jones in 61, um, but one of the best mountain courses you can play, again, uh, there on the east in Virginia. One of two courses, though, at the Homestead. There's also the old course uh, with, it It debuted in 1892 as a six-hole course, but was then updated by Flynn and Donald Ross. 
very unique in that it has six par threes, six par fours, and six par fives. Uh, and again, this one also wins with par three, as does the Cascade scores. Every course we talked about so far, almost, uh, well, including the old white and these two courses, all in with a par three. So something's interesting is going on there. Um, the old course also has the nation's oldest first tee in continuous use and the first president to play golf during office, President William McKinley, did so here in 1899. Uh, several presidents have played golf there, the homestead, since. Uh, Joe, have you visited this property? Pete, I have, Al. And, uh, <laughs> um, no, it got me thinking about some things about, you know, again, uh, more long ago trips. I just haven't been back to the homestead in a while uh, either. But, um, you know, the homestead and the Greenbrier were all, often treated in the same story, you know, because it was so interesting. It was so unusual that you get two phenomenal properties that were basically about an hour apart from each other. Um, even though they're in different states, the Greenbrier being in West Virginia, the homestead being in Virginia. And, you know, it was fun for people to like, well, why, why would you say to the Greenbrier versus the homestead or vice versa? And, you know, the homestead is one of those places that when I was a young guy getting interested and fascinated and consumed by great golf and great places in golf, I took a look at a photo of the homestead of this incredible building, series of buildings rising out of the trees. Uh, what was obviously a mountainous background, and there was Kentucky red brick and a white clock tower, you know, uh, hovering above everything else. And in the foreground, you had this little tiny green with little tiny bunkers. And I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, I want to go there. I want to put myself in that picture because this just looks so cool. And I was fortunate enough to be able to do it several times, uh, you know, multiple visits. And what I was looking at in that early picture was um, the old course. And it finishes up right in the shadows of the hotel. And uh, yeah, indeed, the claim is that it's the oldest first tee in continuous use in the country, like 1892, um, when it was a six hole course. And then um, it's a little sketchy, but uh, many accounts give Donald Ross as one of the people that came in and did a fairly comprehensive redesign, which is, you know, believable. Um, that's what the era Ross was really prolific. But, you know, the old course is more of a novelty, you know, play it, you know, one time or, you know, uh, if you've got family golf that can't handle the rigors of the Cascades course, it's pure fun and pure mountain golf, but not much more than 6,000 yards. So for a time, there were two other golf courses, the Cascades, which mistakenly was known as Upper Cascades in you know, 25, 30, 40 years ago, because there was a Lower Cascades course too. And that was one that opened in the early 60s, 63, I think, by Robert Trent Jones. And um, it's been gone a long time now. It just was not getting enough play, given the clientele, the area, the economy. 
And, you know, this happens to golf courses now and again, but it was not one of Trent Jones's, you know, standouts, but it was so pleasant, so tranquil, you know, even a quieter part of a very quiet property. And you felt like, you know, there wasn't a lot of play at any time. And you felt like, oh, my goodness, this is the pure mountain golf experience, you know, that you came to get just away from everything. You almost wanted to have a fishing pole, you know, or a rod and reel, if you will, in your golf bag and just, to, you know, take a little time and and cast um, because that third course there and now it's, you know, only two the Cascades course. So it was never officially upper Cascades, just the Cascades. And the Cascades has its own clubhouse. It's a few minutes away from the homestead itself. Um, and it it doesn't rank as high as it once did because so many other wonderful golf courses have been built over the years in the mountains in the rest of the country. But in its day, holy cow. And it's still great. But William Flynn, who, you know, we know did the version that we know of Shinnecock Hills. He did all of those great courses in Philadelphia. He did Cherry Hills in Denver. And Sam Sneed, who grew up here, used to refer to the Cascades course as the finest mountain course in the country. He said, with its variety of stances and lies, he said, there's not a single shot that you don't get to experience while playing the Cascades course. So um, I, I'm just an enormous fan of the Cascades. It's The design is terrific. It does play along the side of a mountain. Um, you have some valley holes, but you also have some, some holes that climb up in, you know, to the mountains themselves. It's absolutely fabulous. So if you have a chance, I mean, go do both the Greenbrier and the Homestead. Sam Snead had histories at both because he started at the Homestead and then he went to work at the Greenbrier. Like literally they paid him um, for like 36 years. And then there was a period where he went, quote, home for about 20 years to the homestead and then in his final years the greenbrier hired him away again <laughs> and so sam has incredible history at both places sam's needs tavern a restaurant um you know back there and uh, you know it's still sam's need country his i wish we'd focus a little more on sam's need from time to time because he was just unbelievable storyteller incredible golfer well into his 60s um and and all of that so you know let's not forget al the reason that both of these resorts were so well established from the 1700s was it was basically a spa escape they had what was called the healing waters meaning an outdoor springs that would bubble up warm springs or hot springs and white sulfur springs that's where the greenbriar is located so you had like revolutionary war people george washington going to stay at these places and up through the civil war and everything so you're talking serious american history in addition to golf history so between sam sneed having the commonality of both places the sulfur springs and amazing spas that developed um it, it, they're royalty, as far as I'm concerned, with mountain golf and resort golf 
for North America. Yeah, maybe we should have you do a, a profile on linksmagazine.com on Slam and Sammy. I feel like he's one of those great characters that everyone should know about. I was able to meet him uh, in person at the homestead. And then later uh, got to play. Uh, it was only one hole. We played the first hole with him on the old white at the Greenbrier. And then I got to sit next to him at dinner. And uh, as a golf history buff slash fanatic, um, you know, Sam spent the better part of the evening uh, regaling us with stories, only maybe a quarter of which were printable in a family magazine. But that was Sam. And uh, I, my highlight from the dinner with him at the Green Buyer sitting next to him was he had forgotten his glasses. And so I had to help read the menu for him. And uh, I figured, you know, after that length of the time, I, I thought you probably should have the men menu memorized, Sam, but I'm happy to help out. And uh, yeah, it was uh, some great memories. So, Al, if, uh, if duty calls and I've got to write about Sam Sneed, man, it'd be an honor. Okay. Well, we'll go from Sam Sneed's favorite mountain course to my favorite mountain course. Uh, now, that's a big jump, but uh, let me go ahead and talk about uh, a course that's also in Virginia. Uh, you know, we went from a place that had three courses you can play to two courses you can play to now what I think was one of the best single course destinations in the United States. Uh, and you talk about mountain courses. A lot of courses play in the mountains, Joe, right? I feel like this course plays on the mountains. It's it's built on top uh, of this series of ridges in the Blue Ridge Mountains. This is the Highland course at Primland. Uh, so it's in Meadows of Dan, Virginia. Uh, incredible views over the Dan River Gorge uh, from this course. Again, this is this is perched up there. So it felt... To me, like when I played it, you're kind of um, almost, it's almost a high wire act, some of these holes that are playing a lot across these mountain ridges, uh, over ridge tops and valleys, lots of elevation change, but huge greens, huge fairways, uh, and some of the best conditioning you'll find anywhere. Yeah, I grew up on bent grass greens. This is bent grass greens and fairways. Some of the best divots you'll ever pick in your life uh, on that type of situation. Uh, and this this design was built in 2006, uh, Donald Steele. So it's not that old, um, but had a lot of help from a guy that we're familiar with, his lead design associate, Martin Ebert, who uh, many of you will know uh, and get to know his name better uh, as the Open Championship returns to Hoylake and the work that he did there. Joe, I can't say enough good things about Primland. Um, it's one of the the coolest resorts you'll ever go to. It's an all bears resort now. It's extremely uh, extravagant and and nice. It's just about as you know luxurious as a place you can find anywhere. Uh, one of the great things about this resort, amongst all the other things you can do, plenty of hiking trails. Obviously, this great golf course. Uh, their new lodge uh, attached to it, uh, as, as well as some great dining and spa experience, is an observatory dome, a working observatory 
uh, where you can book uh, stargazing tours, uh, guided stargazing. They open it up uh, when the weather is right, uh, have this uh, high-powered telescope that looks into the sky and projects some stuff onto the top of the dome. Uh, someone helps you with what you're looking at in the cosmos, but uh, very unique um, experience offered to guests at Primlin Resorts. Uh, Primlin Resort, excuse me. And, um, you know, there's some room to stay there. But like we did, we rented a little house uh, in inside the resort property with my family, went fly fishing, uh, played some disc golf, played some reg regular golf as well. Just so much to do and such a well-kept course there at Primlin. One of the best you can play in Virginia. My favorite mountain course that I've played for sure. No question, Al. Uh, I've made, I believe, four visits to Primlin, <laughs> including in its earliest days when it was really, really hard to get to, meaning they just hadn't finished all the roads and and this and that. And um, uh, on one of those visits, I was really fortunate uh, to be able to play the entire golf course with Donald Steele, the architect. And uh, what a treat getting to know Donald. He had been a longtime golf writer, but very cerebral guy. Um, and turned to architecture and became, you know, uh, one of the greats. I mean, a lot of his work over across the pond, but, um, you know, he, he did some wonderful work uh, here in the U.S. as well. So great spending time with Donald Steele there. And yeah, I mean, every single visit, I found it to be the best conditioned mountain golf course that I'd ever played. It's, you know, typically if you're flying in, you fly somewhere into North Carolina, because uh, whether uh, Greensboro or um, Charlotte, uh, and it, but it's it's easier to do from the East Coast and drive to it. It's just over the Carolina border in Virginia, and again, you call it the Dan. Make sure we get that D A N, uh, as in Nancy, uh, the Dan River Gorge, and yeah, you were playing these golf holes through the mountains um incredible strategies very challenging gorgeous trees in beautiful condition and then there are spots on the golf course you kind of have to go to the edge of the golf hole and peer through some of the trees at the gorge you know and it's just overwhelming in terms of nature and you know one of the things i want to point out um about Primland, the homestead, the Greenbrier, is the mountains themselves, as you East Coast folks know, um, I mean, they're covered in green. They're covered in trees. These are very seldom, like, so tall that they're bald peaks or jagged peaks. Mostly they're kind of rounded and just covered with trees. So they're beautiful spring and summer. And then if you like the foliage, Man, you you generally get that uh, in the fall. So it's one of the appeals of fall golf along with the leaf rule. But that's what you're looking at when you go to any of these properties. So, yeah, Primlin, it was um, financed by a, a French fella uh, who did pretty well in life and decided he had this property as a hunting property. And, wow, what do I want to do with it now? And... Um, yeah, it's like, well, let's build a full service resort, except it's not for the masses. It's 
very low key, but everything, as you said, is luxurious. And I've done the planetarium, the stargazing, uh, the cuisine is superb. Um, I remember having dinner there with uh, Jim Dodson, a great uh, Carolina's author and uh, gentleman writer, uh, originally hailed from Maine. Um, you know, again, sometimes it's who you're with, but the place itself can enhance the experience. So, uh, yeah, I mean, six thumbs up for those pre -pro three properties you've just mentioned. Before I go to you, I'm going to just, you know, a couple others of note that I think are worth mentioning you go up to Vermont, you've got the the two courses at Spruce Peak in Stowe, Vermont, uh, the mountain course at Spruce Peak, Bob Cup 2007 design. Uh, if you stay at the lodge, you can play. It goes up and over and, and all around the green mountains there at about 1,800 feet of elevation. Uh, lots of those great rock outcroppings you like to see at different places. Uh, you can also get a time at Stowe Country Club as well. Up there, Maine, uh, Sugarloaf Golf Club in the Carabasset Valley, Robert Trent Jones Jr. course. Uh, it's one of Maine's best golf courses. Uh, features one of those great drop shot par threes. Like I said, their 11th hole is called Precipice. It's one of the most photographed holes in New England. Uh, you've likely seen it. Uh, great Evan Schiller photos of that in, in the past. But it's a par three that drops more than 120 feet there at Sugarloaf. Uh, and then uh, you've also got the Omni Mount Washington Resort in New Hampshire, Donald Ross uh, Mount Washington course design. Uh, two courses there as well, the Mount Washington and the Mount Pleasant. Uh, and then finally, let's move all the way down south, even south of North Carolina, uh, to Rising Fawn, Georgia, uh, a club that has gained attention certainly in since its course was redone in 20, 2019 by Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. The Highlands course, and that's Macklemore uh, Golf Club on Lookout Mountain in northwest Georgia. It sits at 2,300 feet above sea level. Joe, you called it, you called it one of the top 10 finishing holes in golf, even at Macklemore. The 18th there that hugs the cliff uh, part of their cliff edge holes, the, the, the course is divided into to sections, mountainous sections. You've got canyon holes, highland holes, and cliff edge. Uh, that 18th is a thriller. Uh, they've also got a little short course. And then coming in 2024, spring of 2024, they're opening a second course by Bill Bergen called The Outpost that features five cliff edge holes. Uh, I believe there's three on the Highlands course, the current course there. The new one will have five. Uh, and Reese Jones has said it's a course that could host a major championship, in his opinion. So high praise of that place. Um, sure, there's plenty of other great ones that we can talk about on the east, but let's go to the west, Joe. You know, I'm thinking a lot about mountain golf right now because the forecast for Phoenix for this coming Monday is 112 degrees. And uh, generally speaking, for folks who enjoy golf, uh, it doesn't involve 108 degrees. Uh, 78 sounds more to my liking, and that's what you're going to find in the mountain golf places that that I love best out west. And 
when I think about mountain golf, when my mind just says mountain golf, mountain golf, mountain golf, I think of Colorado. There are plenty of other places in North America that, you know, serve up mountain golf. But Colorado is just where my brain starts because it's the Rocky Mountains and the Rockies are most closely associated, of course, with Colorado. And, uh, you know, even more specific, I think about the Vale area, the Vale Valley, Vale and its surrounds, which is kind of um, center of the state, a little bit north, a little bit west. So that's where we start. And if you want to head up for some temperature relief, along with some ridiculously overwhelming scenery, uh, that's where I start is Vale, Vale Valley, Vale surrounds. And, um, you know, when you're talking about public access golf in Vale, it's um, a little bit challenging now. It's gotten a little bit like Cabo San Lucas, where... You can still access some of the best courses, but you have to stay there. Um, and, you know, okay, I, sometimes it's not too much of a hardship, but going from purely public to, well, you got to stay there uh, or stay there and it's only open, you know, every other day kind of thing. Uh, hey, if you want to play the very best, sometimes you got to jump through those hoops. And the first one that most people start with in Vail is Red Sky Golf Club. And they have two golf courses there, one designed by Tom Fazio, the other by Greg Norman, about 15 miles west of Vail. And uh, they're both superb. They both, you know, one's been ranked higher. The other's been ranked higher. They're almost interchangeable, just a little bit different. Um, Fazio's is, is not as long. Um, it kind of hairpins through... Uh, sagebrush, uh, aspen forests, and, you know, that sort of thing. The Norman course heads higher in the hills. But again, we're talking about being up at 8,200 feet. That's what Vale is. So back east, we're kind of talking more 3,000, all right? You are way up there. And the first thing to comprehend about golf at altitude, this kind of altitude, is factoring in the altitude, what it's going to do to your golf ball and club selection and so forth. And so um, the general rule of thumb is add an extra two and a half yards on your drive for every thousand feet of elevation. So I know we promised you there wouldn't be math today, but if you get up to, um, you know, 8,000 feet, it's going to be this. If you get up to 9,000 feet, you're talking about 20 more yards on your drives and then kind of factor down accordingly. And then you got to work with drop shots or, you know, in many cases, sometimes it's the uphill. So Red Sky's deal, getting back to that, um, is that you got to stay at, you know, a property uh, that that permits play there. And each course is open to the public every other day. But visitors have their own clubhouse with an excellent restaurant. So, yeah, I mean, come stay for two days and you get both golf courses. And, uh, you know, again, great views of the ski hills and everything. Um, elsewhere in Vail, you got two modest but in, in interesting uh, purely public access courses, Vail Golf Course, 
which may be familiar to you old timers because that's where the old Gerald Ford Invitational was played in the 80s and 90s. And that is a municipal layout, purely public, um, and, and very enjoyable in its own right. And Eaglevale, uh, another golf course, some funky holes, but some gorgeous, gorgeous fun there. But, you know, the other one I want to mention, really two of them, uh, are both east of Vale. One, uh, probably my favorite, is Keystone, the Keystone Resort. And it is a fabulous full-service resort. Uh, I mean, there's gourmet restaurants. There's gondola rides to get to the restaurants. There's two golf courses at Keystone. One is a Robert Trent Jones Jr., um, the original one. And uh, that goes back, man, I mean, like 40 years. Uh, it's called the Ranch Course. And then uh, Herds and Fry, the old team uh, that was responsible for Aaron Hills, among others, uh, authored the River Course. Um, so a few years later, I don't know, 10, 15 years later, again, those two golf courses sit up at 9,300 feet. We're talking about 23, 25 yards extra on your drives. So if you want to hit the longest drives of your life, um, you know, Keystone is a great place to do it, along with a full service resort experience. The final one I want to mention in the Vale area, uh, again, it's east of Vale, is Breckenridge Golf Course. And I mentioned that because it's an early Jack Nicholas design, 27 holes they have now. But it's actually a municipal layout uh, for the city of Breckenridge. And uh, so, you know, its pricing is not inexpensive, but it's also not going to, you know, tear a hole in your wallet. So you get, you know, you know, with Jack Nicholas, you're getting big time challenge, big time scenery. And any of the three nines are are worth it in whatever combination you do. So. The other reason I love Vale for summertime mountain golf is Vale Village itself. Um, Keystone has its own great setup. Uh, nearby Vale Village is another village at Beaver Creek, uh, which is a lot of fun to hang out at with restaurants and clubs and scenery. But Vale Village kind of tops them all for me for just atmosphere, restaurants, looking up at the mountains. It's you know, it's just everything you want in your mountain golf vacation. So what I would tell you at that elevation, um, I'm I'm not trained as a medical doctor, but take it easy on the alcohol as you get used to your vacation, because uh, uh, your system can take a while to adapt at that altitude. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying don't have a celebratory beverage, but don't overdo it um, because it's a little tougher to... Uh, to handle up at that elevation. So, Al, I've got a couple other places I want to mention, but um, you got any thoughts on uh, on Vail Golf yourself? Well, I. it's funny because when you think of Vail, you think of obviously some of the best skiing in the country, Breckenridge as well, amongst those places. So maybe this is a, a different way to think about that area. If you love, if you've been to Colorado for skiing, if you love mountain towns like Vail, uh, like Breckenridge, Aspen nearby. Uh, maybe you'll like to go during a different season during the summer, like we're talking about to experience 
a different side of those areas and play some really great golf. I will say if you fly, perhaps you've, you're flying to Denver, if you're going to go to one of those places, uh, not necessarily a, a mountain course or mountain resort, Joe, but um, plenty of people may have heard the news that the newest project under the Dream Golf umbrella from the Kaisers is a public golf resort called Rodeo Dunes. That's just to the east of the Denver International Airport, uh, about a 35-minute drive east. That is currently underway. Uh, Bill Corr and Ben Crenshaw are contracted to do one course. Uh, their associate, Jim Craig, is doing another. I expect that the, the first course to open at this new Dream Golf property will be in 2025. Uh, and it's a pure sand property, eastern plains of Colorado. So again, it's not playing up in the mountains. You do have mountain views, uh, and it is in the higher elevated portion uh, of the country in the, the state of Colorado. Uh, so you're going to get some of that mountain vibe, uh, but it is sure to be something different, uh, unlike anything we've really seen uh, in that part of the country. Um, however, it's not far from Sand Hills, so you kind you kind of get a vibe of, of that place going on there. But um, if you're going to go play golf west of Denver in, in Vail, then maybe consider a quick pit stop slightly east of Denver as well. Yeah, it's going to take a couple of years, obviously, um, just breaking ground. And, uh, you know, uh, let's uh, wait till it's up and running. But uh, everything the Kaiser family touches inevitably turns into one of the great golf experiences you will have. So, you know, again, just because it isn't in the mountains, let's not forget Denver itself is the mile high city. You're up at 5,280 feet. So you're going to get, you know, extra length on your drives and have those club selection quandaries. So, you know, whatever it uh, turns out to be, you'll still have some of those same challenges. And, um, you know, so yeah, definitely getting so excited about that. Aspen is funny because there, there's not really much public golf to speak of. One golf course is, you know, not a destination for me. Uh, in most cases, uh, Pine Valley accepted. Um, but, you know, uh, so many of Aspen's great golf courses are all private. So, you know, don't really plan a golf vacation around there. But before we leave Colorado, um, I absolutely have to mention, and a strong prominent mention, south of Denver by about Ah, 45 minutes to an hour is the Broadmoor, a resort in Colorado Springs that is also more than 100 years old. And the way I think of the Broadmoor is the way I think of the Greenbrier uh, for the East Coast equivalent. It has everything you'd want from classic golf, including 18 holes by Donald Ross, another 18 by Robert Trent Jones Sr., and then a third 18 that was originally Arnold Palmer and redone by Jack Nicholas. How's that, you know, for a set of names? It's a fabulous tournament venue, having hosted the U.S. Amateur, the U.S. Women's Open, the U.S. Senior Open. Um, big, famous winners for the most part. And, um, you know, I again, I, I kind of remember watching the 2008 U.S. Senior Open 
and uh, NBC on the call, Johnny Miller up there, and uh, Dottie Pepper, um, you know, Bernhard Langer's out in the fairway, and all of a sudden this bear ambles across the fairway, and Dottie Pepper kind of, you know, Langer's a little startled, understandably, and nothing much startles him. And, and Dottie reacting accordingly, she, she held her cool, but, um, you know, gave the bear plenty of distance. It's just that's part of the fun of mountain golf and in all of that. But the Broadmoors restaurants, its activities um, and the lodging experience, uh, just absolutely fantastic. That's up at 6,230 feet. So uh, def definitely extra elevation. And the tip that, you know, that used to come back when they first opened Trent Jones's golf they had an exhibition and ed dudley was the pro there uh president eisenhower used to like to play at the Broadmoor. he spent his summers in denver and um and the greens were really hard to read because of the optical illusions from the mountains and uh, ed dudley wasn't sure if he should take trent jones as a partner and you know about reading the greens and trent snorted uh the effect of uh, hell, if I can't read the greens, nobody can. Uh, he built them, you know, along with uh, touching up Donald Ross's greens. So the tip that they would give first-time visitors in handling golf at the Broadmoor and in the mountains is wear a cap and kind of bring it low, right to the tops of your eyes so that you don't focus on the mountains in the back. You just look at what the green is telling you and that way you won't get as confused on reads on putts so um yeah hearty endorsement for for colorado for sure where do you go next al i'm going even further north i'm leaving the country we're going to canada western canada and specifically the provinces of alberta and british columbia um i'll say at the onset alberta has my favorite mountain golf. There's mountain golf actually all over Canada. The East, Eastern Canada has some nice mountain courses, but the stuff of legend is out West. And the most legendary stuff of all is in Alberta. There's two very old famous resorts. One is at Banff Springs. The other is at Jasper, uh, both in Alberta. Uh, Fairmont uh, runs, manages the hotels. And uh, so the lodging experience is terrific, but the golf, you've heard of, you know, all of the greats, Alistair McKenzie and, and uh, uh, you know, Tillinghast and Donald Ross and everything. They all went and played the Stanley Thompson courses, Canada's greatest golden age architect, and came away incredibly impressed. Robert Trent Jones wound up as a young man partnering, first working for and then partnering Stanley Thompson. So if you're chasing down great 1920s architecture, don't forget about Canada's best, Stanley Thompson. And he did Banff Springs, and he did Jasper, and a bunch of other courses up there. And so you know, really what I want to add, uh, you know, to those experiences, again, Banff Springs being maybe the most famous of all. They've got 27 holes out there. But what's interesting is that um, they're nowhere near the elevation that Colorado's courses are. 
these are only at like like four four thousand feet you know is is my best guesstimate can't remember if it's you know forty three hundred or or something the jasper course is even lower i mean that's like northernmost scottsdale like desert mountain thirty three hundred feet so you're not going to get nosebleed stuff playing either one of these golf courses at Jasper and Banff. But what you have are the Northern Rockies in the background. That blows your mind because they are so tall. And because you're further north, the snow takes longer to melt. It stays colder up there. And invariably, you have these backdrops of these jagged peaks with snow on them and wildlife running around between elk and bear and uh, uh, man. Um, I, 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 what, am, what else am I thinking of? Um, oh, bighorn sheep. Bears. <laughs> right. Um, I've seen bears at Jasper. I've been at, 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 at Banff during elk mating season uh, in September when they're all over the fairways. That is something amazing. But the golf itself are terrific designs. Um, again, in nature, rivers and lakes and scenery. And, um, you know, there's some new stuff up in the Canadian Rockies in, in Alberta as well. But uh, those are the must plays. And, you know, likewise, when you move west to get towards the coast, you still have mountain golf. If we remember Whistler and Blackcomb Mountain held uh, Olympic skiing events uh, back in the day. Al, uh, you can look up what Olympics that was, as, a, as I'm not quite remembering, but uh, absolutely fabulous summer vacation. Uh, Whistler itself and Whistler Blackcomb um, could be the best summer mountain destination of all for families. And uh, the mountain golf isn't quite what it is at Jasper and Banff, but in Whistler, there's one mountain course that's a must do. It's uh, Chateau Whistler. Again, another Fairmont property. But uh, Robert Trent Jones Jr. design that plays like a mountain course with the stances and the scenery um, and, and the wildlife sightings. So, um, you know, there's other golf to play in the area from Nicholas North to Whistler Golf Course, which is an Arnold Palmer design. I happen to see a bear swimming in a lake on the golf course. The only time I've ever seen that. Uh, Bob Cup did a course up there called Big Sky. That's also uh, very enjoyable. But um, yeah, being in the, the village itself and taking the ski lifts and the gondola rides in summer and everything that's going on with all the activities, it's, it's just awesome. So that's my north of the border plug for golf, mountain golf in Alberta and British Columbia. Canada hosted the Winter Olympics twice, Vancouver 2010, Calgary 1988. No, you were. Oh, you were wow. You're right. So, so Whistler and Blackcomb, the mountains where the ski events took place, was in 2010. And there are many reminders still that, you know, this was a, an incredibly popular event. And, um, you know, again, if you like your Olympic history, you'll start, you'll recognize some of these uh, landmarks, so to speak. Joe, my wife and I did our honeymoon in Banff. 
and it's one of the most amazing places you can go on this earth. I'm quite convinced of that. Uh, we actually stayed in a quieter little town called Canmore, uh, not too far from Banff and drove into the the national park. Uh, we drove, we, I did not play at Banff Springs, but we did drive over to the course and saw the, the scenery drove into the parking lot of the course. So we were able to see several holes. Uh, but one of the coolest things you can do is riding up the Banff gondola and going to the top uh, station up there where you can walk around, uh, see 360 degree views uh, of those humongous mountains that you referred to and actually look down onto Banff Springs. That's a really cool vantage point of that golf course from up there uh, to be able to see I don't think you can quite see the Devil's Cauldron, that famous par three hole that they have from up there. It's kind of hidden on the other side of a, a mountain face, but um, gosh, it's a breathtaking view from up there and a really cool looking golf course. The others we drove around at Pananaskis Country Golf Course uh, is out there is really highly regarded as well. There's a, just a ton of really good golf on top of the um, breathtaking scenery, the national parks, the uh, Lake Louise, Moraine Lake, those those big glacial lakes uh, with the brightest blue water you'll ever see in your entire life. Uh, it's just a wonderful place to go, whether you're going to play golf or not. Lake Louise, uh, I calculated back in the early 90s when I used to rank everything I did and, and do lists. I thought that at the time was the most beautiful inland site I had ever seen. Um, I may have a new contender for that that I'll tell you about in a minute, but Lake Louise was just stunning with those mountain backdrops and seeing in spring runoff because I was there in May. And um, it's it's almost a different kind of blue, the water up there. I, there's like a greenish tint from the minerals that is just so striking. Um, and, you know, absolutely incredible. And you mentioned the Devil's Cauldron, the most famous hole at Banff. It's about 190, 100, 200 yard par three over a lake, elevated tee, gigantic mountains like in your face, right in the background. And you talk about club selection. Gene Sarazen was there when they were filming a Shells match and uh, Shells won a wonderful World of Golf match. And he was playing the course and was arguing with his caddy about club selection. And, uh, you know, Sarazen was a little guy, but he was a heck of a golfer. And uh, he, he got his way, picked the club he wanted to hit and hit his shot exactly halfway there. Uh, so deposited in the lake and didn't doubt his caddy again after the round. But that's how that depth perception can absolutely confuse you. Uh, it could certainly confuse Gene Sarazen. So um, I guess both of us are tremendous fans of, uh, of the Canadian Rockies and Alberta as a destination. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, got to gotta go do it once at least. Well, I'm interested to hear your your top inland thing you've ever seen uh, or, or however you describe that. But before we go to the next place, I do want to mention while we're up there in that region, so if you go west of, of Banff, 
uh, and Alberta over into British Columbia uh, between Vancouver and, and Banff. Um, you'll find Revelstoke, British Columbia, uh, in the Columbia River Valley, where uh, the Cabot property, Cabot Revelstoke, is being constructed. Uh, I went and visited, this was right before the honeymoon, I went and visited the property to see what was going on and the progress. Um, it's being done by Whitman, Axlin, and Cutton. Uh, this course is built on a, a bench kind of at the base of Revelstoke Mountain Resort, which has uh, some of the highest ski vertical in the world. So this is a great skiing town. Um, you know, not much there. Uh, it's kind of when you think of the other Cabot properties involving, you know, like a, a fly and then a, a quite a drive to get to. This is kind of like that. It was a couple hours from the airport that we flew into, but um, it takes a while to get to the hella skiing capital of the world, Joe, where this course is being built. But when I went, the it was progressing along. It was looking at a 2024 date. Um, I visited their website and they have updated, I think, that to 2025 is looking more like when that's going to be ready. But um, the next Canadian golf property from Cabot looked to be like something special there, too. It definitely will be. You know, the thing I'll add about mountain golf, Al, is that, um, you know, back in the day, uh, there just wasn't the money or the sophistication. I'm talking 100 years ago when a lot of these courses were built. Um, and so a lot of the older mountain golf courses, including the ones built in the 50s and 60s, even into the 70s, um, have a lot of funky holes. Let's be fair about that. It was just too expensive to move uh, the earth around enough to dynamite enough or whatever you needed to do. And so you do wind up with some blind shots and some very strange side hills at times. So... You know, one big plug for we know our readers, our viewers, our listeners love classic architecture. But in the case of mountain golf, there's a lot of wonderful modern mountain golf courses because the technology has allowed, you know, uh, a, a little bit more shaping, if you will, not always in the right way, but very often um, you know, building a fairer, even more fun golf courses at times. So um obviously looking forward to what the cabot folks produce uh out you know in that part of british columbia uh hey whether it's 24 or 25 something to look forward to sure all right what else you got to wrap us up here yeah i'm gonna wrap it up i mean out west there are mountains everywhere you can play mountain golf or golf with mountain backdrops i mean just pick a western state uh, whether it's Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, even in northern Arizona, Flagstaff has some fantastic mountain golf at 6,300, 7,000 feet. Washington State, you know, we remember Chambers Bay uh, having those beautiful Olympic mountain backdrops. But, um, you know, the, the two I'll mention specifically, Utah, uh, the Salt Lake City, then Park City, 45 minutes to an hour away. Uh, just 
again, spectacular Rocky Mountain Golf in Utah. They're great, great skiing. Less well-known than Colorado skiing, but superb nonetheless, with a bunch of terrific ski resorts. So one time I asked uh, Tony Finau, uh, who uh, spent uh, all his formative years in Utah, what's your favorite mountain course? And he answered, Soldier Hollow, the gold course, and uh, I thought that was a good answer because it was purely public golf. And that's, again, 45 miles east of Salt Lake City. And uh, he, he told me he had really good memories of winning the state amateur there in 2006, beating Daniel Summerhays, one of the most famous names in Utah golf. And uh, he said the greens are always good and had a lot of character for a mountain course. So... A plug for Soldier Hollow, this gold course and the silver course, uh, also used in some Olympic cross-country skiing events. And, um, you know, uh, Utah being a very, very fun destination for summer golf. The last one I'll conclude with um, is the place that possibly took over for me for the most beautiful inland scenery I've ever seen. And that is Lake Tahoe. And the California-Nevada line, some of the Lake Tahoe's best golf courses are in California, especially in a really cool old mining town called Truckee. And then others are on the Nevada side. What's cool on the Nevada side of the lake? Well, you can gamble. They have casinos all around the lake and, and elsewhere. And if you like that sort of thing, you can find a great spot and camp. Um, so many good golf courses that are public access in and around Lake Tahoe on the North Shore, on the South Shore, on both in both states. But um, my new favorite is Edgewood Tahoe. Okay, you guys all know Edgewood Tahoe. It's you see it on television every year for the American Century uh, tournament um, in mid July. It's with all the celebrities, all the athletes playing and and all the boats that come in on the edge of Lake Tahoe. It's on the south shore of Lake Tahoe. It's George Fazio, 1968, with help from his nephew, Tom. And then Tom's done a couple of tweaks in the years since. It hosted the 1985 U.S. Senior Open, the only time that that event allowed golf carts because of the 6,200 feet elevation. But it took all my travels, Al. I mean, I've been to Primlin four times. It took me until 2022 to finally get to play Edgewood Tahoe. And every year I would look in mid-July, and it's 114 in Phoenix. And I'm looking at this golf course on television, and it's always sunny. And it's always like 76 degrees. And I'm like, why don't I go up and do this? You know, right? You're scratching your head. You're actually, you're smacking your head because you can't go out and sit in your car for 10 seconds without melting. And you're like, I could be up in Lake Tahoe where it's sunny and 76 degrees. And you have this spectacular lake and these snow-capped mountains and boating on the lake. And when I finally did it, it was like the light bulb not only went off, but illuminated my entire world. It's a fun golf course. 
say what you will. Maybe it's not the Fazio's most sophisticated design, but its golf holes go up into the woods. They're mountain meadow holes. And those last two holes, the par 3 17th and then the par 5 18th, very reachable at 572 up at that altitude play along Lake Tahoe. And they're the only public access holes that do so. And man, oh man, do not wait until you get old and gray like me. Go play Edgewood Tahoe. And, uh, you know, you're going to love it as a summertime golf escape from mountain golf. Yeah, that's a place that doesn't feel real when you see it on TV and see the celebrities playing that tournament, the boats and the in the lake and uh, the beautiful scenery. It's one of those places that must be seen to be believed. I'm not, I'm not convinced, Joe, that it's a real place. I'll take your word for it, but it looks pretty unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, that that was my feeling um, after actually finally seeing it in person. And I thought about Lake Louise so many times over the years, over and over you know, if Augusta National is the prettiest inland golf course, you know, what's the prettiest inland just for nature? And I and I thought a lot about, you know, Lake Louise and uh, and 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 Alberta in Canada. And then I looked at Lake Tahoe and I'm like, well, OK, this this could surpass it. And uh, just to have perfect weather in July you know, a lot of the other places you go to will have afternoon thunderstorms that are pretty normal. For some reason, at that time of year in Lake Tahoe, uh, that's not part of the program. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a flag waver. Uh, it, my one and only time up there. But you know, that's the beauty of mountain golf. Uh, is there so many places to get to east and west just to cool off a little bit and have a great but different golf experience. Yeah. Parting thoughts. I mean, there's so many that we could have kept going on. Uh, any more you want to mention Joe? I know when, when I was thinking about this and kind of typing as we're going Shawnee in on the Delaware, uh, they're in the Poconos in Pennsylvania, an A.W. Tillinghast course you can play, hosted the 1938 PGA Championship. Uh, let's also not forget in the middle of the country and uh, the well-known Ozark Mountains, uh, Big Cedar Lodge, obviously a great resort that would qualify, I think, as mountain golf as well and and playing some, some nice elevation changes there too, Paynes Valley, uh, Ozarks National, and... Um, Buffalo Ridge, a uh, couple short courses there too. Big Cedar, one of one of the coolest golf resorts I've been to in the entire country, and um, in those Ozarks Mountains in Missouri. Anything else you want to? Yeah, add we to? forget about uh, we forget about some of those other destinations that are actually mountainous, even if they're not the Rockies, so to speak. Um, you know, one that we, uh, uh, I thought about earlier when we were in Vermont, um, I had the chance twice, two different trips to play the Equinox. And that is in Manchester or Manchester Village, Vermont. And 
that was a Walter Travis course from 1926 that Reese Jones uh, substantially uh, both restored and redesigned in different spots uh, back in the early 90s. And, you know, again, it's not a U.S. Open venue. It's very short at 6,400 yards. But I thought this is absolutely the quintessential mountain scene when you're playing, I believe it's the 12th hole, elevated tee, could be 13. And this white church steeple rises out of the forest. And I'm like, can it get any more New England than this? It was just perfect. And then Manchester Village itself has the old character stuff, which is everything you'd want, you know, in a in a New England experience, a little bit like Woodstock, Vermont, which has its own nice inn and golf course. But Manchester Village had that flavor. And then also um, the outlet shopping, you know, for um, folks who love their shopping, you got them both. And then the Equinox itself, uh, a resort that goes back to the 18th century. And I love that fact, you know, some of the creaky floorboards and the, but with, with the modern touches. So two great visits there with tons of stuff to do, including falconry, um, which I did. It was uh, very enjoyable. And Al, the only other spot that I feel compelled to mention, more so mountain backdrops, but in my view, the best summer climate of all is Bend, Oregon. And it's a couple hours inland from Portland, but on the other side of the mountains. Uh, and so you get these low humidity, very temperate, mild summers with a zillion family activities to do from river rafting, you know, to hiking and biking to all that other stuff and a surprising amount of fantastic golf. Now, uh, a lot of it is private, but from the public side, Pronghorn with a Jack Nicholas course that's open for public play, uh, it's fantastic. Top 30 in the country. You have Sun River, kind of the granddaddy of resorts in that area with two terrific courses and then the kind of semi-private, mostly private, but you can still get on called Crosswater, uh, which uh, Bob Cup. John Fote design and more and plenty more in Bend. Um, you know, again, they switch off between a little private, a little public access. I'm forgetting a couple, but downtown Bend is a blast, you know, with a little river cutting through it and, you know, so much fun to dine and, uh, and, and to do stuff with your family. So um, it is still uh, around 40, 4,500 feet. It's it's my favorite summer summer climate that I've experienced. Yeah, a little little hidden gem of a place up there with some really good golf. I think Tethero, Tethero is uh, Tethero. Yeah, yeah, the David Kidd uh, golf course. That uh, I'm sorry, folks, uh, I didn't do every bit of research. I I can't remember if it's open for public play still in some way, shape, or form, or is purely private. But um, yeah, another terrific track, Tethero. Good. Well, I think that covers it for today. I'm itching as I sit here in the Piedmont region in North Carolina and all this flatness. I'm itching for some elevation change. How about you, Joe? 
I'm with you, man. Like I said, 112 forecast for this coming Monday. And uh, I, I like the sound of 78 degrees a lot better. So um, if uh, if you don't reach me next week or the week after, I might just be teeing it up in the mountains. <laughs>